we go to church at Bible Baptist Church in Cassville. Don Beasley is our pastor, and I think I met uh, pastor and his wife there. They've come over to visit a few times. We go to church with Brother Phil and his wife, and uh, so we know them from there. But uh, I had a pleasant drive over this morning. wasn't sure how long it might take, but a lot bigger town than I thought it was. But when you're from living Butterfield to 470, everything's bigger. So uh, this is uh, much more good. My wife sends her condolences. She's been sick, may be able to be with us this evening. And uh, I don't preach as good without her. She's my cheerleader, if you will. I invite your attention this morning to 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. And I want to take a look at this this morning for a few minutes, all right? 1 Peter chapter number 1. Move this stuff here. I want to talk to you this morning about, in Sunday school, about the uh, the precious blood of Christ and the value that it is and how and the, the, how indispensable it is to our faith system. Peter addresses this very seriously in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to jump right in the middle of a text here where he says there, uh, beginning in a sentence in verse number 13, and this sentence runs on down through verse 21, one sentence here. So, so verse number 13, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed by the corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. That's quite a sentence, isn't it? And the subject of the sentence, ever since as a subject, is the precious blood of Christ. But I want to thank the Lord for that. In order to understand this, we're going to just do a little Bible study on the, on the blood of Christ, on the blood. I have to go back to some of the first mentioning of it here in the book of Leviticus, and uh, chapter number 17. Leviticus chapter number 17. Well, it's recorded for us here by Moses in verse number 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the souls. Also in chapter number 19, verse number 2, he says, speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Atonement and then holiness. I love the book of Leviticus. I know I'm crazy, but it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Somebody says, what are your favorite books? Well, all 66 of them. But, <laughs> but uh, there's a couple of them that personally stand out to me with special interest for different reasons. And Leviticus is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I want to tell you why Leviticus is so important for a New Testament Christian. 
To begin with, the two main themes of Leviticus are atonement and holiness. Without atonement, without holiness, number one, we cannot even attain to the salvation of the Lord, and then we can't live for him once we are saved, except we have a life that is holy. Now, the word atonement appears some 48 times in the book of Leviticus as a verb to make an atonement for and so forth. That's a, that's a large number of times for a subject to be presented in any book of the Bible. And then it's presented three more times in Leviticus as a noun, as a subject to be studied out. So we have some 51 times that the, that the word atonement is mentioned in the book of Leviticus. That's a serious amount of, of, of scripture on it. The Old Testament sacrifices, though, made by the shedding of the blood of an innocent animal, would not remove sins, but it covered sins until Christ came to wash away our sins through the cleansing of his own precious blood. And so Leviticus is a type, if you will. Without Leviticus as a foundation, we would not have much of a faith system throughout the New Testament. Then also holiness is mentioned in the book of Leviticus. It's the it's second doctrine that, that, that uh, is so strong in this book. In fact, in Leviticus chapter number 11, I want to read something to you there where it says in verse number 44, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, and... Uh, says, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify, set yourself apart for, for myself, sanctify yourselves, and be ye holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Thee there shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So the Lord gives a direct commandment to his people, that they're to be holy because he's holy. So we're supposed to be like God, we're supposed to be like Christ, if you will. And so these two doctrines work hand in hand in the Old Testament book of Leviticus is one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite books because uh, they are twin doctrines in that they depend upon each other. But also within them is the doctrine of identification. In the Old Testament, when an animal was brought forth to the priest to be sacrificed, the priest had to identify with that animal before offering it as a sacrifice. And he would do that by laying his or pressing his hand upon the forehead of the animal, therefore identifying with that animal, say, this animal has been has passed inspection, it is without blemish, it is without spot, it's acceptable as an offering or as a covering for sin. And so it is with the ordinance of believers' baptism. In baptism, we identify ourselves with the Lord and with the church, and so there's a mark of identification. So Leviticus has so much to do as foundationally with New Testament doctrine. So not only is it, has the doctrine of atonement and holiness and identification, but it also has the doctrine of substitution. Somebody had to pay the price for the sinner, for the transgressor, and this is what the animals were for. The wages of sin has always been death, and something, someone had to die to pay that sin debt. Now, when, when the innocent animal died for the offender, this is the type of Christ, the innocent one, dying for the offender. That's us, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. And somebody said, well, I am. Well, the sentence goes on and says, no, not one. So we don't want to get too pious about that thing. Amen. So none of us are, are sinless outside of Christ. And, and so this, the, sin, the sinner has been paid for by the innocent one. So the innocent one, Jesus, has died for the guilty one, mankind. 
So not only do we have the doctrines of atonement and holiness, identification, substitution in the book of Leviticus, but we also have the book of the doctrine of propitiation. So this is a visible evidence that that the animal's blood was acceptable to the Lord. And that Christ's blood is the only sacrifice acceptable to take care of our sins in the sight of God, thus recovering us and causing us to be righteous in his sight. So we have a thing called imputed righteousness. So the righteousness of Christ, when by grace through faith we repent of our sins and trust him as our Savior, his righteousness is imputed, transferred to him, to us. We have no righteousness in and of of ourselves, but we take his righteousness upon us when we get saved. Thank the Lord for that, amen, because we are unrighteousness without him. So Leviticus is key to New Testament understanding of doctrine of salvation and the blood of Christ being shed as an atonement for our sins. So Leviticus has the doctrines of atonement, doctrine of holiness, identification, substitution, and propitiation. Therefore, many believe, and it it seems without doubt very reasonable, that Leviticus is the most New Testament of the Old Testament books because of what it reveals and how it reveals these doctrines that are so foundational to the New Testament. And so Leviticus is exciting ground. Some people feel it's boring. (laughs) Well, if you were to read it and understand it, you would say, man, this is a great book. So this is some of the reasons why Leviticus is not just one of my favorite books of the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament, but uh, how important it is and key it is to the New Testament. Now, if you take those thoughts of the sacrifices and you take it over back to our text that we started with in 1 Peter chapter number 1, I want to look at this as the precious blood of Christ because his blood is so much better than the blood of any bulls or bullocks or lambs that whose blood was shed in the Old Testament. In fact, if you were to go home and read the book of Hebrews and identify, underline every place, a phrase like better than is used, it's amazing how many times, I think like 13 or so times, the phrase better or better than is used in the book of Hebrews in reference to Jesus. And in this particular case, he's better than the Old Testament sacrifices. And his blood is better than the Old Testament blood shed of the animals there. And so he's just better, amen? So consequently, the whole Bible is a book of redemption. And it's a book of redemption or or it's really nothing at all. And it's been inspired, the writers have been inspired, holy men of God moved as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's been inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, for this main purpose. Now, it's not just a book of history, though it contains history, but it's accurate in its history recordings in the history of creation, the history of mankind, in the history of the church, the history of Israel. You look at it historically, and you, you see that some 6,000 years of history recorded in the Bible, but it's not a mere book of history. And it is also a book of science, so it's not a science book. You can study out science in the Scripture, and all true science is, it aligns with the Scripture. So science of heat and cold and sci- science of light and darkness or whatever science of physics that you want to study is backed up and, and taught in scripture but it's not just a science book it's also has is a book of anthropology studying out mankind mankind's origin his transgressions his dealing with each other his the, the government and so forth it's been established by the lord a, 
the, the how man deals within the family structure, within the first church structure. But it's not just a book of mere anthropology. So while it has these and many other subjects, it's mainly a book of, of redemption. Now, redemption has two sides to it. Amen. One, it has the idea of deliverance, to be delivered from. I've been redeemed from, delivered from. And the other side of that coin is the price paid for that redemption. So we have a ransom that's been paid. Amen. I am dead in trespasses and sin. And Jesus paid it all, so all to him I owe. And he's paid for my ransom for the deliverance of my soul, which was lost. Oh, a horrible word, lost. And I was lost in sin, and he's delivered me, and he's paid the price for that deliverance. So because he's paid the price, there's nothing I can do to pay the price. I accept the penalty that's been, pay, that's been paid for me, and I'm thankful for that. Amen? And so it's a great, great thing. So the book... Of, of scripture is a book throughout all 66 books of redemption and it's great redemption theme is seen so clearly in the book of Leviticus and that scarlet thread of redemption that men preach about through the scriptures you see the scarlet thread of God's redemption weaving through the scriptures boy what a what a what a great lesson to be taught there in fact you can look that up online the scarlet thread of redemption and, and study that out so it's a rich study but you better take, set some time aside because it's going to take some time to, to go through that, that study. But it's a rich study. Now, the blood of Christ is foundational to salvation. In fact, Jonah says in chapter number 2 and verse number 9, very clearly he says, salvation is of the Lord. Well, what a profound truth is it, yet it's so simple. If it's of the Lord, it's not of man. Uh, isn't that profound? <laughs> I'm a profound kind of guy. If salvation is of the Lord, then it's of no one else. It's of nothing else. So if we're going to have salvation, if mankind's going to have salvation, if this town of Nixon and surrounding areas is going to ever have salvation brought to it, it's going to have to come from the Lord. It's not going to come from man. We might be instruments and are instruments to bring that salvation plan to them, but the salvation itself is of the Lord. So it's not of any works of righteousness which we have done, but because he has saved us. So Leviticus 17, verse 14 that I read earlier, states clearly that the life is in the blood. So when Christ laid down his life, when animals laid down their life, they did it by the shedding of their blood. Now, you can die without shedding of blood. I've said this many times, and every time I say it, I kind of shake inside. Should I say that this morning because I don't want it to happen in front of you? But I could die right now from a heart attack. Okay, I'm still okay. And I, I never shed a drop of blood. And so the, the person could die from a concussion. Never drop, shed a drop of blood. So there's many ways or numerous ways of per, I could drown. Never shed a drop of blood. But the life is in the blood. So Christ did not die by drowning. He did not die from a heart attack. He did not die from a concussion. He died from the shedding of his blood, which he gave voluntarily on Calvary. For without the shedding of blood, is no remission to sin, which Hebrews 9 verse 22 tells us. So if we think there's remission of sin without the shedding of blood, if we think salvation is somehow of us, then we're actually going against the teaching of Scripture. And, and so we're going against the Word of God, so we're going contrary to God himself. We're saying what God's word is not true, it's not accurate, it's not complete, and, and God is wrong. 
He's just wrong. I have to do something to earn my salvation. I have to do something to work for it. But then I'm countering that salvation is of the Lord. Then I'm countering and calling God a liar when I say, no, redemption does not, it does not come by only by the shedding of blood. Yeah, he shed his blood, but I also have to do some work to accompany that, that work that he did on Calvary. No, no, because then you're taking away from what Christ did, and he is sufficient in all things, and he's better than. It becomes very clear very early all throughout Scripture, especially I, I love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, uh, and this is clear, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And we're quite capable of boasting. <laughs> yes, we are. Look what I did. Look what I did. Oh, yeah, well, I did this. And, uh, and guys are real, real fond of boasting, you know. I can lift 50 pounds. Well, I can lift 55 pounds. Yeah, well, I can, you know. And we boast about that. We boast about our cars, especially when we were younger. Mine can go this fast. Mine can go this fast. And, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, never thinking that we might actually have to stop someday and use some brakes. But uh, we're good at boasting, you know, about the fish that we caught. And I'm from Texas, I'm from San Antonio, Texas, and, and, uh, and down there we don't lie, we just have tall tails. And so that's the tall tales we tell fishing stories. I always tell my wife, fishing and hunting stories aren't lies, they're just tall tales, you know. And so she, doesn't, she hadn't bought into that yet. In fact, she doesn't get it. Why guys can stand around the, the bed of a pickup with their arms on the truck like they're looking inside of something. She says, what are y'all looking at? I said, you'd never get it. It's a guy thing. You just say, you know, it's just part of being a guy. She don't get it. She, I say, here, come here and try it. She she, okay. She tried it. She goes, I don't get anything out of this. I said, it's because you're a yucky girl now. Leave my truck alone. Go away. But anyway, but we like to boast. And we would boast about our salvation if we could. Yeah, we could. Well, I've been baptized at this church. I've been baptized at that church. I pastored in Kerrville for 24 and a half years. And um, early on, I met a guy. I went to see him at the house. He came to church and took a man from the church with me once seen him. And he talked about his salvation. I said, okay, where have you been baptized? He said, quote, I've been baptized at every church in Kerrville. Well, I mean, that's, that's not possible. And I, said, I said, really? I said, tell me about it. He started naming all these different churches. I mean, he went through a dozen just real quick. And I thought I stopped him. I said, time out. I said, I believe you. I said, don't have to go anymore. I said, but, but it's, 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 it's of no value unless you've been saved first, unless you've been born again. I said, because salvation is not part. Baptism is not part of salvation. Salvation always precedes baptism. And he wouldn't buy into that. I guess all these baptisms were just a thing of works he was boasting about. He was contradicting Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not yourselves give to God not of works, what, lest any man should boast. And he was boasting of his works, of how many churches he'd been baptized into uh, or by in Kerrville. So we really only have two belief systems in the whole world. One's a do belief system, and the other's done. One's what we do, what we think we can do, what we strive to do to obtain God's grace and his mercy, and the other, the other religion or faith system is what's been done on Calvary. Well, Jesus not only, is, only, not only tells truth, he is truth. So he cannot lie. I can lie. I have lied. I try not to lie. I prefer not to lie. God doesn't want me to lie, but 
I find myself telling a tall tale on occasion. Anyway, the uh, I digress. But uh, but the thing is, he cannot lie because he is truth. And he said on Calvary, it is finished. Finished. Complete. John 19, verse 30. It is finished. Thank the Lord that we have the finished work of Christ. He's finished everything in the Old Testament. So he's better than all those sacrifices. He's better than Levitical priesthood because he's the high priest of God. He's better than that, that, that Jewish belief system. He's better than all of that. He's just better than. And so when he said it is finished, he's, he's making a profound statement at his death on Calvary. Uh, he's talking to a large number of Jewish crowd and, and immediately their mind must have gone back to everything that they've lived for, everything they believe, and realizing maybe for the first time that this is the Messiah they've been looking for. It is finished. So, for salvation is of the Lord. Number two, we need to thank God for, uh, and I always try to reinforce this, our King James Bible. Because from it, we have God's Word that's, pro- that's Holy Ghost inspired and providentially preserved for us in English. So we can study it and we can understand it. We can say these are the very words of God as he would have brought to us. So it is finished. It's complete. It doesn't need to be added to or taken away from. In fact, there's a curse for those that do. And so we need to be careful about that. So as we look into these doctrines of, of uh, atonement and holiness, we see them established clearly in the Old Testament and brought forth into the New Testament. We see that Christ offers that atonement. He offers that holiness. So to accept him in salvation and to follow him in life is a result of that atonement and holiness that's taken place. But we need to be careful of one thing. The world needs to be very careful that you don't reverse the order of those doctrines. When we put holiness before atonement, we look like the real thing, we smell like the real thing, we talk like the real thing, we do what the real thing does, we go to church, we sing the right songs, we dress appropriately, we, uh, we raise our hands and, and say praise the Lord, and we do all these things, and we talk about spiritual things, and we're trying to be holy, and we've never received his atonement. So we're very religious, but very lost. This defines every town I've ever been to. It defines my hometown of San Antonio, 1.2 million people. It's, it's, uh, it's religious, but she's lost. Founded on Catholicism and strengthened by, by, by charismatic movements and so forth. She's a religious town, but she's lost. The town I pastored in Kerrville for 24 years, north of San Antonio, about 60 miles, about 24,000 people. Kerrville is religious, but she's lost. All right, old German settlement. I'm half German, old German settlement. And, uh, and a lot of Catholicism and Lutheranism. And in that town, a lot of uh, Presbyterianism, so a lot of Bible churches, a lot of Calvinism, religious but lost. Hello, religious but lost. When we try to make our religion our salvation, then we're still lost. But boy, it makes man feel good because he's doing something. Well, that's understandable from, a, from a, that type of perspective. It's just unbiblical. <laughs> that's the only thing wrong with it. And, but when we put atonement first and we repent of our sins and we receive Christ as our Savior and accept his atoning work on Calvary as he shed his blood for our sins, then, and we become a born-again child of God, now we're to live a holy life. Now the commandment to be holy as I am holy comes into effect. So now we get into that, if you will.
So this is why he what something else Peter talks about here in this text in First Peter chapter one, uh, beginning of verse thirteen. Wherefore go it up, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, and not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. There ought to be a difference in us once we get saved. But as he which hath called you is holy, and God is holy, and Christ is holy, as scripture is holy, the spirit of God is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, which is your life, your lifestyle. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Boy, what a blessing that is. So he's bringing forth, Peter has studied out Leviticus, evidently, and he's coming, bringing those doctrines forward, of be holy as, as God has commanded his people to be. That's really what he's commanded his people to be, as a holy people, a separated people. And the word separation is still a Bible word, and, and, and being brought out of the world unto him. And so the more like Christ, the less like the world. Amen. What a blessing that is. Uh, and so this thing of, of, uh, of overcoming the flesh and the old man, boy, what a, what a guy to wrestle with. If you think for a moment that you don't wrestle with the old man, you got victory in everything. And it can never happen to you. Then you can talk to you, you can talk to me at church about me, because <laughs> I wrestle with the guy. I know, I know me, and 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 the apostle Paul wrestled with it in Romans chapter seven. What a tongue twister of a text! That which I would do, I would, do, would not do, and that which I would not do, that that I do. I'm thinking, man, boy's a mess. <laughs> and there's times Richard Martin is a mess like that. And so I feel like, with all a strange comment, I feel like I'm in good company with the apostle Paul because. Sometimes I find myself not doing what I should do and, and, and doing what I should not do. And, I, oh, man, I just uh, I have to stop and, uh, and hit reset, if you will. And so well, I want to look at something also in Hebrews along this line, Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter number 9. And uh, see what I have here. First 12 verses, Hebrews chapter 9, the first 12 verses. Let's go through them here. Then verily the first covenant, the Old Testament first covenant, had also ordinance of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, which was the candlestick, and, it, and, and wherein was the candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. After that, after, I don't read well, excuse me. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant, Overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden rod that had manna, speaking of the word of God, and Aaron's rod that budded, the resurrection of Christ, and the tables of the covenant, the word of God. And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. But when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, you might underline that, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Now stop right there for a second. Christ did not have to offer any shed blood for himself. Good morning. He's sinless, all right? But the priest was not sinless. He was a man. He had to offer blood for himself first and for the heirs of the people, verse 8. The Holy Ghost, this uh, signifying that the way into the holiest of all 
was not yet made manifest was the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure, a type, a pattern, a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Read verse 10 also. Which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So they had to work it out. <laughs> and the sacrifices were made annually. But Christ entered in once and for all. Look at verse 11. But Christ become a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect. See, he's greater than, he's better than. Perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, as to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he, Christ, he entered in once, not annually, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Amen. I'll make you shout. I mean, that's, that's, that's rich ground. Boy, I tell you, this, this, this meditating thing on that, chew on that one for a while. Amen. Well, a blessing that is. Also, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. And their sons that sins and iniquities while I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The water of the blood of Christ. Amen. Look at me also in 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter number 1. Thank whoever put it up there for that clock on the back wall. I haven't worn a watch in over two years, and I'm always looking for a clock. Amen. First John chapter number 1, and let's look at verse number 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, watches, cleanses us from all sin. What's left out of all? Cleanses us from all sin. What, do, what cleanses us? The blood of Jesus Christ. But what a profound statement. What a profound statement. It's a cleansing blood. A lot of folks will argue and debate and say his blood has no saving effect. His blood is no different than anyone else's blood. It just indicates the manner in which he died. It's his death on Calvary that saves us. Well, he did die for us. He did give his life as, as a substitute for us. But the way he gave his life was through the shedding of his blood. And it's more than just, it, his blood is different than my blood or your blood. It tells us very clear here that, 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 that and the blood of Jesus Christ has sin cleanseth us from all sin. No one else's blood can do that. No animal's blood can do that. So there's a cleansing power in the blood of Christ when we sing it in our hymnals. What can wash away my sin? Hey, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so there's a cleansing power that takes place there. If you have uh, someone debating with you about this, you can show them that verse. You can also show them this verse in the book of Revelation, chapter number 1. Revelation, chapter number 1. 
And verse number five reads, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Well, he's quite a bit, isn't he? Amen. Unto him that loved us, John three sixteen, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's pretty clear. That's what he did. That's part of the work of Christ is to wash us from our sins in his own blood. And then also in chapter 5 of Revelation, and verse number 9, it references the blood of Christ again. And he sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals there, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And he goes on from there. So the blood of Christ is everything. Thank the Lord that he began really describing it in the book of Leviticus. And again, that's why Leviticus is so, so key to New Testament doctrine because it's there that they, 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 the Holy Spirit uh, begins to establish these great doctrines of redemption and atonement uh, and, and the shedding of blood. And uh, what a great, great thing, delivering us from the wage of sin, which is death, paying the price for us. So there is power in the blood. When we sing that song, there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Yes, that's exactly right. That's doctrinally correct. And so without it, without it, we're still lost. Uh, you know, lost is one of those words that doesn't need real definition. It describes itself as lost. If you've ever been lost, well, what, what a feeling comes over you. Feeling comes over you. Well, I'm like Davy Crockett. He said he never got lost, but he did get spun around for a few days at a time, not knowing where he was. But it just gave more opportunity to more, spend more time in the woods. <laughs> so, <laughs> but being lost is not a good feeling. And when we were lost, and we look back on our lost condition, well, I think we can be able to see, well, what a deliverance. What a friend we have in Jesus, amen, who loved us, gave himself for us. He died so we could live. And well, it's a great, great thing. Something we really be thankful. It's a rich doctrine and worthy of any study times you might want to give it. Well, the clock says I'm to be done. And I have one minute left. Uh, so I'm letting you out early. Amen. Well, let's pray and we'll go to church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. Thank you we have redemption through him. And Father, pray that we never forget that. Father, please, we pray that... Uh, you might be with us, continue to be with us during the 11 o'clock hour, and may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Amen.